as a rockin' girl. Rock, call a ruby, rock away my blues. Rock, call a ruby, rock away my blues. Give me that feeling I don't want to never lose. Oh, yeah. Good old rockabilly. That is Sonny West, ladies and gentlemen, doing Rock Ola Ruby, produced by Norman Petty in Clovis, New Mexico. And uh, it's a great rare 45 if you can find it. On the other side is Sweet Rockin' Baby. Just great stuff. And uh, I'm so honored and just excited about having Sonny on the show today at your buddy John podcast. Sonny is, of course, a Rockabilly Hall of Fame inductee. And for those that don't know, has a main writer credit on Ravon and Oh Boy, which became uh, pretty recognizable songs for uh, Mr. Buddy Holly. And uh, he actually met him at one point in his life. We'll talk to him about that and a whole lot more. So excited to have him. Hope you enjoy this interview. Please welcome Sonny West. What a great honor and pleasure to have you here today. I've been wanting to get you on the show for a long time. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, sure. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, well... You're uh, you're, rock, uh, you're rock and roll royalty, so uh, <laughs> and there's not many people that uh, can say that they were actually involved with Buddy Holly's life. That's uh, especially ones that are still with us. So I'm really really yeah. excited to have you on the show. Oh, good. Um, I wanted to start out asking you um, how you got involved with music. I, I, I read that your parents were uh, sharecropper parents. Is that correct? Uh, yes, they. Uh, we actually. Before I was born, my my folks uh, took some home uh, uh, what do they call it homesteading land in uh, New Mexico. The, the government was trying to help people out after the depression. Yeah. So they had some land that uh, where you could they would allow you to have 160 acres of land if you could stay if you could improve on it and stay there a certain length of time. Then they'd give you title to it. So my my folks tried that. Had two uncles and their wives, and then my dad and mom uh, tried that, and that's uh, kind of the way that started. And uh, then my dad kind of stuck with uh, farming and things like that the rest of his life. Were you uh, were you working on any of that with him as well? Like, were you doing any farming growing up as a kid? Um, well, I was too young when we were there at that place. And oh, so okay. I was born in Lubbock, and uh, I guess my folks were from Vernon, Texas, which is north uh, north east of Lubbock. And then uh, they uh, traveled around a lot, of course, and we happened to be close to Lubbock whenever I was born. And then after that, I went to New Mexico, back and forth from Texas to New Mexico. We, we wouldn't stay in uh, one place very long, so I went to a lot of different schools, uh, you know, like maybe 24 different schools. Wow. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, went to a school in California two or three different times, you know, for a short length of time. So that was sort of the way I grew up is uh, my my brother was quite a lot older than me. Well, six years is a lot when you're young. And so uh, then I had two sisters older than my brother. So that was, I was the youngest one in the family. And so most of the time, the other kids had to go out and work in the fields or whatever they had to do. Right. And, uh, now by the time I got old enough to do that, you know, times had changed quite a lot. So anyhow, sure. by the time I was, uh, uh, by the time I was 
18, I was back in West Texas. And when, when, did, you, uh, when did you start getting interested in music? Oh, I was about uh, out there in uh, New Mexico. Uh, we were on a place that it had belonged to someone else. I guess we leased it or something like this. And they had left an old record player there, and I was six years old. So I was so fascinated with the with the record player, and of course, it's very scratchy records, things like that. But to <laughs> me, it was to me it was a gold mine. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't because we we had no radio, no no utilities. Wow, uh, out there. So you know, long ways from town, and so you can imagine this was my connection to the world. Right. <laughs> what kind of records do you do you remember listening to? Are there ones that influenced you musically, or? Oh, the uh, the first ones were the uh, Jimmy Rogers, uh, the country Jimmy Rogers. Oh yeah, band. yeah, great. And uh, uh, there were another uh, artist, I believe it was Gene Austin, was similar to that. You know, they did some blues and some train songs and some yodeling. And then there was there was a few march uh, marching song records that I remember. Uh, one time they had uh, probably about a half a dozen of John Philip Sousa's records, and uh, you know when you don't have much to pick from, you know they were all <laughs> yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like when I was a kid, I had to listen to my parents' records because I couldn't afford any. You know, <laughs> right, right. That's a, yeah, I know what you mean. So, um, was anybody else in your family musically oriented? I mean, what inspired you to uh, pick up a guitar and start playing? Just listening well, to the records, or yeah, my my dad was, you know, somewhat associated with music when he was younger, like in, singing in the church and in a quartet or something. Sure. When he before before he got married, after that, you know, it was all business, and so uh, I remember something about that and something about my grandfather uh but you know they weren't really interested in it as far as playing for money or playing for someone else's entertainment right or something like that so uh anyway it just stuck with me and i as soon as i got able to get uh, a guitar and start working on that i was probably about 16 when i started you know being able to play some background to what I was trying to sing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, rhythm, mostly rhythm, uh, uh, learned, learned chords and stuff. And uh, then, then it just went on from there. When I got out of school, I, I, you know, started looking around for someone that I could play with. Yeah. Or if I could get on the radio and play a few songs. You know, I, I didn't uh, realize that you might have to have talent and things like that. <laughs> I think you're being a little <laughs> modest there, Sonny. <laughs> well, uh, no. <laughs> uh, anyway, I had uh, a lot of uh, a drive and uh, and confidence at the time, you know. So <laughs> sure. <laughs> since then, I've lost a little of it. But, uh, you know, when you're young, you, you always want to show somebody that, what you've learned or something. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's kind of the way it was. Was, um, was this around about the time that Elvis Presley came out with, um, that's all right, mama. Did that influence you a lot as far as like, Hey, I want to do this rock and roll thing too. Or, or were you more initially kind of country Western oriented? Elvis had something to do with it, but it was, 
it was kind of like a movement. I, I was always interested in the blues type. And of course, I wasn't living around where I could hear any of the the, the southern blues, yeah. uh, blues records, you know, the, what they used to call race records. I wasn't around where I could hear anything like that. And of course, most of the time we didn't have a radio when I was younger, but, but I was, uh, whenever I heard things like, uh, Elvis and, uh, Joe Turner and, uh, Carl Perkins and, you know, the, uh, uh, rock around the clock, things like that. Sure. These were, these were things that, it just fit into my uh, psyche some way. Yeah, it, it was something that I wanted to do, and I I didn't know exactly how, but that's the kind of records that I that appealed to me. There was a, some songs that Hank Williams and Hank Snow did that were similar to what we call rockabilly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that uh, Hank Williams did two or three that were quite solid rockabilly type songs and. Those were some that I uh, were interested in. I think that was around 1953 or 54. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, yeah. Day. Well, um, it was all uh, happening back then. I mean, uh, there was just this melding of country blues and um, yeah, southern uh, blues and then uh, western and hillbilly bop uh, and all that was <laughs> happening. Yeah, it's yeah. great. So how, how, about, how old were you when you uh, recorded your great classic rockabilly uh tune rock ola ruby which i'm a big fan of it's uh such a great <laughs> it's such a great rock and tune um uh, I, I was 18 18 wow and um yeah. how did you get hooked up to record that um at norman petty's i believe right oh yes i recorded that norman petty uh just before that i i was living in in new mexico with my brother and sister-in-law and uh up up in northern New Mexico, and I got a job at a at a Ford dealership, you know, like chasing parts or something. And I saved up enough money that I could go to Memphis. And so, against uh, all odds, and also against uh, anything that my family thought I should do, yeah, I t- I saved up a little money, and I paid down on a car. So I took off to, uh, Memphis. I thought, Hey, this is probably the center of the universe. Right. And, uh, so, you know, at least they would understand what I wanted to do, whether I got to do it or not there. I didn't know. I think by that time, probably Elvis has already left the building. Sure. Uh, but, uh, every, it was still fresh, you know, and there were so many people doing that. Uh, trying to do what I was doing. I didn't realize it at the time, how many there were. Sure. And uh, so I actually went there to, to Memphis and uh, I uh, hung around in the waiting room there long enough to leave. Finally, uh, uh, Sam came out. You're talking about <laughs> Sam Phillips at Sun yeah. Records, right? Sam Phillips. Yeah. He came out and, you know, I told him, I said, well, you know, I, just, I got, uh, you know, the idea that I want to do some, uh, recording and I've got some ideas for songs and stuff. And he said, Oh, I'm just so busy today. You know, and anyway, he said, I've got so many people coming in here wanting to record. He said, I just don't have time to, to listen to you. So, uh, 
I didn't uh, say very much. I was really disappointed, of course. Yeah. And so anyway, I thinking, what the heck am I going to do now? I have no plan B. And so uh, my sister was living in Leveland, which is close to Lubbock. Yeah. And that's the town that I had lived in and gone to school at a time or two in my life. And so I called her up after I ran out of money, you know, trying to get back to Texas. I, I called her up and I was, asked her, you know, if she'd send me some money, I want to come to, back to Leveland. And, <laughs> and uh, she sent me $15. I was in Fort Worth. And so that bought me enough gas to uh, get back to Leveland. And to get to the answer of your, your question, though, the main thing is I got some guys together that wanted to play right away. Most of two of them were still in high school. And, uh, so I, uh, my brother-in-law was probably the only member of my family that, you know, gave me some encouragement. And so I kind of relied on that and I had him to, he, he helped me to, uh, line up the recording in in Clovis. What was it like working at, um, Norman Petty's studio? Well, it was, what I did was I got a couple of songs ready to record and we were going to start our own label. You know, I, I talked to my brother-in-law and we had these plans, you know, we're going to do this and that. But uh, whenever we got around to it, we uh, I talked to uh, the radio people in Lubbock and they recommended if I was wanting to make something, you know, uh somebody that had really good equipment was in Clovis. And that's how I got in touch with Norman. And uh, so we made an appointment to go over and talk to him about this. And and he said, well, you know, it takes too long to get the artwork and all this stuff for, for a record. And anyway, what are you going to do with it if it doesn't go? You know, what are you going to do with it? You're going to spend quite a bit of money that way. And... I told him we would record a couple of songs, and I had my own musicians and stuff. So uh, he said, I can get the... He didn't have his studio finished, the, the echo chamber, because I told him, you know, it's got to have some kind of echo in it. I can't... <laughs> got to have that rockabilly sound, yeah. Yeah, I can't do a flat record. Uh, so he said, I can get the, the uh, theater. I can rent the theater after they close some night and you come over and we'll we'll record there so so that's how that worked out and he said you we'll put your record out on my label i'll just charge you you know just for the a few cents for each record or something for using the label and having it pressed uh rca and chicago so this all sounded pretty good to me sure that worked out so i didn't actually record the first song and in the studio, which wouldn't have mattered anyway. Right. The the uh, theater worked out fine. And Norman had, you know, new equipment. He had the Ampex recorders. They were called uh, portable, but they really weren't. <laughs> they were <laughs> I mean, heavy. They were very heavy, yeah, big, big <laughs> yeah. recorders. But uh, anyway, that's what happened. We set up on the stage after the, after the show was over one night and, and we did, he just set up a couple of mics and, and, and then we had the reverb, reverberation from the hall 
sound of the of the theater. So that was the uh, that was the Lyceum Theater, is that right? Yeah, yeah, the Lyceum Theater built back in 1920. Wow. And so you know they built uh, they built them kind of like cathedrals at the time. So that was good. Good acoustics. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, they, so the uh, the song, you know, had a good had a good sound anyway. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, how did you get that uh, guitar tone? It's so fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember how you got that? Uh, that was uh, a guy that I had met up in Farmington, New Mexico, and I got him to come out, and I thought maybe we could get some jobs, and you know, he could just stay there and in. in uh, West Texas, but as it worked out, that didn't work. But anyway, he did the he did the guitar playing on that. He was sort of a I guess he's I guess he, you would call it a thumb picking style, and uh, so you know a lot of it was sure. And uh, I he played a, a Les Paul Jr. I believe it was that, and also you know it's a I guess it's just the way he had it turned or had it turned up or. It was something about the the strings that it had a kind of a ringing, yeah. ringing sound, which was perfect for that song. Really perfect, yeah. and the amplifier yeah. it just sounded great. Yeah. Do you remember his yeah. name? You remember his name, Sonny? Uh, you know, I don't. I know his name, but oh no, problem. I don't know how to contact him because his name is like Buddy Smith. Buddy how Smith. can you be? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a generic name. It's like uh, and, Mr. Jones or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. And you know, I don't really remember what his actual name was. You know, in Texas, they all got uh, uh, nicknames. So sure, sure. I, I know he curious. lived lived somewhere. His mom, I know, lived in somewhere in north of north of Lubbock, and uh, I don't remember. I got out of touch with him, and I, I couldn't find him anymore. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he if he did any more with music or not. And then the, the drummer then went to college after that. So did the bass player. I had the, the double bass uh, player from Level Land, and the drummer was from Level Land. Nice. So it was, I had a nice four-piece band and, and nowhere to go. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so those record, that record came out as a 45 uh, Rock Gola Ruby on one side and the other side was Sweet Rockin' Baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, I take it, it, though it's very much appreciated today, for some reason it didn't hit so much with the public other than maybe locally. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Couldn't do anything with it. I, I, you know, we had no knowledge of what we were doing. Sure, like sure. When I say we, I mean me and my brother-in-law. I, I had no way to know what what to do. And uh, Norman Petty was not really interested in in promoting it. So, uh, you know, we were kind of like on our own. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, we, at least we got the record. And uh, there was some 78s. Uh, pressed also so oh nice nice and uh so anyway that it took quite a few years for that to get to europe and england and you know then the people really started paying attention to it i i thought that it but i'd never hear it again you know in 1960 <laughs> yeah <laughs> no it's uh everybody knows it now i was i was looking at it on youtube the other day and um <laughs> you should see all the comments people love it oh uh, yeah <laughs> It's crazy. 
Um, it's interesting, like that uh, Europeans um, sometimes appreciate the uh, rockabilly uh, stuff more than Americans. In, uh, oh cer- yeah, certainly later yeah. anyway. Oh yeah, they had and and they uh, they know this. And they know, know the it. Yeah, they know it. They know word the by word everything, the, note by note. They, is crazy. Absolutely, they know the music and uh, they well they liked the, all of the American music. Yeah. And American cars and stuff. They like the American culture. Right. So, the, yeah, the rockabilly really got a resurgence in England and, you know, and, and France and Spain. Yeah. And uh, Italy, because I've been to all those places, you know, the last 30 years, 20, 30 years, and all know, like those, those type of things. They'd have the whole weekend with uh, a lot of local bands, and they'll have a few American bands. Or the headliners. Cool. When would you when you went over there? Did you um, bring your own band, or did you just play with the guys there since they know oh, your I stuff? Oh, I just so had well? to play. I just had to play with the pickup band or the guys there. Yeah. Anyway, they were they were good. Yeah. Um, I had no band here at that time. You know, sure. that was later. Sure. Uh, so anyway, that that worked out okay. It was because they they know what they're doing over there, and they're. Uh, they're so keen on uh, finding out exactly how you did this stuff. Right. So that was, that record comes out. It's kind of a disappointment. Um, what did you do in the meantime before you penned the uh, fantastic classic uh, Rave On? Was that first before uh, Oh Boy or was that? No, Oh Boy was first. Or what'd you, okay, yeah. so what did you do um, yeah. before Oh Boy came out or, or you got that oh, going? Oh, I I was still trying, you know. I stayed there in uh, in Level Land. I was I had to pick up some odd jobs, manual labor jobs, and things like that. I had to pick up, and then I was I decided that 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 uh, rock rockabilly was not where I was at. You know, I was going to have to change the well. I was going to have to change make the songs more palatable for wider uh, audience. Yeah, a different audience. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, because. The, the rockabilly, you know, was a male-dominated society. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, it was, and it uh, seems like the, the girls went along with it because that's what the guys wanted, you know. And so, and after that, I said, you know, these songs are going to have to be a little bit more uh, for teenagers in general. And so that's when I started changing. And that was a few months, a couple of months after that figured out that uh, my first record was not going to go anywhere and, and I couldn't spend any more money on it. So, yeah. So it was around the, that was by that time we were right at the beginning of 1957. And uh, that's when I, I uh, wrote, Oh boy. And I went to back to Clovis, you know, to get some demo records. So that was, early part of 57 turned out when I went back to, to uh, Clovis and was, you know, wanting him to make the uh, demos for me. Yeah. Then uh, about that same time, buddy found out, buddy Holly, I'm talking about. Yeah. He found that he had lost his contract with uh, Decca in Nashville. So he was, going back over to Clovis too, because I don't know if he had ever been there before, but uh, I know he, when he went back and they started working on the song, that'll be the day. 
because he had recorded that in Nashville, but it, uh, you know, the Nashville people didn't know how to record Buddy, and they yeah. didn't know. They were not interested in his his way of doing things. So, you know, the whole story there probably that just didn't work out. Anyway, I had written this song, Oh Boy. I called it All My Love, and Norman had this, this uh, record-cutting machine where you could go over and make a demo. And so I, I took uh, a drummer and a piano player over and then uh, I think a horn player. That's all I could find for, for going to make a, a demo. And, yeah. And uh, so I, I did the demo and got some uh, discs so, because that's the only way I could send anything off to a to a record company or or a publisher. You know, that's the only way I had of transmitting the thing to them. Because I, you know, no, we had no way of sending tapes. Right, right. Around. So that's what I did with that, and uh, and that's where Buddy heard my demo that I did over there, and uh, as it turned out. That'll be the day turned out to be a, a real big song. Yeah. As you well know. I've heard you do it you know, <laughs> yeah, a thousand a, times, to smash no, maybe it, yeah. a hundred times anyway. And uh, so he wanted to do the uh, his follow-up uh, recording of, of my song, you know, to follow up That'll Be the Day, which that, that really kicked me off then. I mean, you know, I started, then I started, uh, getting some successes going yeah it's amazing because um a lot of people probably don't even realize that um everybody when they hear oh boy or Ravon, they think it's you know it's it's such a buddy holly type sound and a song mm -hmm. it just seems like yeah. he wrote it but it, it's it's fascinating to me that <laughs> you actually yeah. wrote it and um and it's but buddy somehow made it his own you know um oh had, yeah he did had yeah. you met him before this occurred when you when he heard your demo did you meet him anywhere like at a radio station or anything or yeah yeah i met him uh uh a year or so before that in lubbock and when i was you know trying to make my debut with my own records and stuff uh i met him at a radio station i uh What's the name of the station there? I can't remember. KDAV now. or? KDAV, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. When Dave Stone, uh, so far, so far back in my mind, but it is in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I met him. I met him. They had, uh, I went, I was over in Lubbock one time and it was my, my brother-in-law's uh, family had a reunion there at McKenzie Park. I remember that. And they said, well, Let's go over to the radio station. You can do a song, and so I went over there. And I think that's the first time I met Buddy because he had, he was just uh, he had done a couple of songs, and he was just about to leave. And so I, I met him and talked to him a little bit there. And I guess that's the first time I met him. And uh, then I met him a few times in around Lubbock whenever he was there, and sure. you know, we went to the same places and stuff like that. Same record. Same record shops and same music stores. So that's kind of the way that worked. Very cool. And um, Ravon, um, that expression was, did you hear that from um, 
Carl Perkins' 1956 release, Dixie Fried. Is that where you got that? that or is it, or did I you believe just... that's the first time I had heard it. I, I don't know. I, I think so. That's when I, I was working with uh, Bill Tillman, the other person that's listed on my records. Uh, he was uh, living in Leveland also. Though he wasn't a musician, he always fancied himself to be a, a writer. So uh, he came, he must have been more influential in get, picking out that title than, than I was. And so oh, okay. I guess that's one reason why he has his name on that. I was going to ask you about that because there's on uh, both those records, there's uh, your name, Bill Tillman, and Norman Petty. And yeah. uh, I believe. Quote, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the Norman Petty thing was he would put his name on there to, of course, get some publishing. But he would he would claim it would help the DJs recognize his name, so they would help them spin their records. Is that what uh -huh. is that what he would tell you? Uh, he he never told me that. I heard that later, but yeah, he might have said something about that. I don't know, but anyway, it was just mainly another way for him to get. You know, he always said, well, I spend more time here, you know, with these guys. He did spend a lot of time with Buddy. Yeah. But, you know, that's, uh, you know, he took a half the song right off the top, which is a publishing. And none of us were known, knew anything about publishing music. Yeah, or, I know. A lot or, of artists back then. Uh... Didn't think about, didn't think about the, uh, the time, you know, what's in the future. All we thought about was today. Sure, sure. And of course, Norman was a few years older than us and a lot more experienced with the publishing and and royalties. So he he took, he just basically filled out the forms with his name on them. And so he took half the song right off the top. And then he took a third, you know, if there was two writers, then he took the third of that song. Wow. But made him made him a majority owner Jeez. Uh, right off the top so yeah that's what he did with uh actually i had written uh oh boy without the help of bill tillman yeah or norman petty but uh bill tillman and i you know run around together and and uh have a few beers together and things like this so when we could get money to go to the bootlegger and uh, <laughs> you know, dry state and dry dry county yeah uh so, uh, and we started, he, he seen that there, that Norman was interested in publishing the song, you know, Oh Boy. And so he, he kept after me, he said, well, why don't you put my name down there? Because, you know, uh, it'll, it'll give me some, uh, credibility, credibility as, you know, in the future. And he says, uh, you know, when, if, if, you know, if it turns out to be, you know, something pretty big or something. He said, I'll give it back to you. You know, something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I made so many bad decisions, but hey, they're, they're there and I can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you guys you, you guys were like the Lennon McCartney of your day, right? Where some of the songs yeah. that Paul would write entirely on his own, McCart uh, Lennon's name would still be next to it, right? Sure, sure. And, and, you know, if this would have worked out a little bit different the way I thought it might, you know, I said, well, we can always write another song. Yeah. But, you know, what do you, you know, how can you tell somebody, well, you're not going to write another classic probably right. in your whole life. You, you yeah, may exactly. not. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, that's, uh, that's the way that worked. And, uh, so, um, 
Yeah, Buddy, he did the song, and, and you know, even yet, his his version of the song is probably the one that everybody recognizes, even though there's been, you know, a hundred covers. Oh, sure. On, on both of those songs that I wrote, uh, there's been many, many, many covers, and but Buddy's is the one that uh, he he put his own signature on these songs, you know, his signature sound. That's one thing about Buddy and Norman both. They knew how to to make a song where it was different than the last one. Right, right. It just and they sound so good. They sound so fresh even today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's true. Ravon is just. Uh, it's like a rock and roll anthem today. It's just. Um, it's a classic. Yeah. And it's interesting yeah. that when it first came out, it it did better in the uh, UK than it did in the US. Like it. Uh, oh yeah, it did. Yeah. Well, oh boy, it did also, but uh, but especially with Ray Vaughan, there's a, you know, the story about uh, about that time was the about the well, I put out Ray Vaughan. I guess we didn't get to that part of it. You probably know about that. That I got a contract with with uh, Atlantic Records. Well, Buddy wanted to record Ray Vaughan, and and I said, well, I'm going to get a contract. Uh, at least that's what Norman says that uh, I can get a contract if I put the song out. So uh, I let me let me put it out. If it doesn't go anywhere, then you release your record of it. And yeah. so that's how that's how it was with Ravelon. And sure enough, it went that way. You know that uh, mine. You know, being an unknown artist, and uh, there was a pretty big flood of records coming out at that time. Also, there was the the uh, what they call payola was going on. Oh yeah. And not the time. I think that was 1958, the spring or summer of 58 around that time. So it probably didn't help the record sales, you know, when they had all the, the, all of the, uh, investigations in Congress. Right. Right. Payola. You remember Alan Freed. Oh yeah. And, you know, they tried to charge him with, Payola and stuff, and he was the real lifeblood of the radio in New York. You know, that was, and those big shows that they used to have at the Paramount, the shows, well, like the one that they had in the movie. Uh, yeah, Alan Freed's Show Hollister. of Stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, a lot of artists would go on there to get to get their name out there, and uh, it was a real good thing. Anyway, my record come out in February. My record of Rave on. I got a contract with Atlantic Records. I didn't. I didn't like the record the way I did it, hmm. and uh, I was disappointed with it. But I thought, well, we'll give it a shot, and how can we? How can we lose? I'll wind up, you know, uh, owing Atlantic Records, but they have to collect it out of royalties, so I'll never pay it back. Right, right. So that's that's what happened, and it. But he waited two months and then put his uh, rave on out, the one that everyone knows. Uh, I think that was April of 1958 by the time that came out. Mine came out in February. So I've got a, uh, I have an ad in, you know, the ad from Billboard magazine that mine came out in February. And uh, so I didn't get much. Uh, 
action on it. That's yeah. all there is to it, you know. So naturally, they didn't put out any more of mine. So what didn't you? Uh, what didn't you like about uh, your release? Was it the way it was arranged, or or was it just? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was like it wasn't arranged at all. Oh. <laughs> was, you know, the the big beats were a dance, uh, a rock and roll dance band, and so you know, most all of their songs, uh, just out of necessity, I guess they sound about the same. Oh, and okay. They have, and they have a a saxophone driven band. Uh, Trini Lopez is playing the guitar, by the way. No or, kidding! Wow. For the on. Uh, my my records of uh, uh, Ray Vaughan, uh, but of course you don't hear the guitar very much. Yeah. But the the sax is right in there, uh, and uh, piano. So this is like a five piece band, and it seemed like we didn't really plan on having it, uh, you know, to be a to to come out as a new artist. You need something that's going to be different and right. And it, it didn't it didn't have that different sound as far as I know it sounded okay but uh, it just didn't have the it you know it seemed like the the song was recorded like perfunctory that's sure all. sure no and, I know I know not, exactly what you I mean I'm not saying anything bad about myself or the band it's just that that's the way it turned out it, yeah, it, yeah yeah it didn't have the excitement that I thought it should and and it didn't have the rhythm that I thought it should so. Uh, it's a difficult song. You've you've done it many times. It's I, a many really times. difficult song to uh, get a drummer to really. Um, yeah, yeah. The drummer has to play lead. Yeah, it's like uh, you know, it's you got to be really on top of your game with the drums on that song, and and yeah, also. That's, yeah, yeah. That's what's so good about uh, Allison. So he played with Buddy Holly so long that they could read each other's mind all the time. Totally. So anyway. Uh, he knew what to do with the song. And of course, Dick Jacobs was the, you know, the orchestra director. So, it's, uh, but he didn't play guitar on, uh, on Ray Vaughn. Hmm. And so they, and Norman actually played piano on Ray Vaughn. So they had time to, to cook up, uh, an arrangement. Right. But that's, that's what, uh, producers do, you know, they arrange songs and yeah. And the orchestra directors. Anyway, they had like eight people in the in the studio for backup singers. They didn't need them, but you know they have a lot of stuff in New York. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that Ray Vaughan was so. Uh, it was a strange. In order to make it exciting, uh, it just have, had to work that way. Buddy didn't have to think about his his playing. All he had to think about was doing the song, and and uh, they had two guitar, two electric guitar players. Uh, one of them being Al Keola, which was a you know a big recording artist in his own right. Yeah. Anyway, that that worked out really great. They they recorded that like on a Saturday night or something, or a Saturday, and Buddy appeared on the. Um, Ed Sullivan show the next night, like Sunday night. Is that right? So that was his weekend. He was high. He was really high as a kite. I can you know, imagine. On his, on his, uh, his successes. Yeah. Yeah. It no, was going the... good. You know, Peggy Sue had been a big, big hit. Uh, that'll be the day. Oh boy. was uh, that'll maybe baby or big hit. So he was, uh, 
I mean, they were taking a lot of his money, but but he was still <laughs> he was still in La La Land. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine, especially and, uh, especially when you're that when age, he did, right? Uh, Ray Vaughan, and you can tell it that he that he he was in total control of the song. Yeah, or he has that sound like I'm. You know, I'm really excited about this, and he got up there and did the song, and then shut up. <laughs> and that's uh, uh, a minute and 45 seconds and that's it it's beautiful it's a beautiful arrangement and, and if, if i could add a little bit more the the american teenagers had no idea what they were talking what he was talking about right was ray vaughn and that's why they didn't buy his record of of ray vaughn that much uh it was over their head sure uh it's still over a lot of people's heads. You say, well, what songs do you write? Rave on. Uh, how does that go? I don't know. <laughs> really? Where have these people been? <laughs> uh, they never understood what it meant. Anyway, what it actually meant was uh, to carry on. That's, uh, you know, to carry on with what you're doing. They used that to get back to. I'm talking way too much. Not but, at all. Not at all. Uh, to get back to the uh, how how this song started, how the title started. Yeah. It was uh, that was a, a expression of affirmation in the South. Oh, but cool. it was, and you know they used that in church a lot. Rave on. You know, like Amen and things yeah. like this, but. You know the teenagers. Uh, it didn't. It didn't really catch on with the teenagers. It was a little dorky sounding or something. Sure, and, sure. And you know a lot of things you can say. A lot of things you can sing that you can't say. Yeah. And vice versa. You you know that from writing and mm -hmm. singing songs. There's some expressions that you know you wouldn't want to tell a girl. You know if you're going out with this girl, you wouldn't want to tell her rave on. It sounded <laughs> kind of stupid, wouldn't it? <laughs> right. But, you know, you can sing it and, it and it sounds so much better. You know, when you say that you like me and you say you love me, just keep on saying it. I yeah. love to hear it. You know, this is the whole thing. <laughs> I just love the fact uh, that those songs were... Um... A lot of songs from the 50s were like a minute and a half or two minutes long. They're just the perfect length, you know. Um, oh, yeah. I listen to yeah. too many songs today that are three and a half, four and a half, five minutes long even. And um, some of them are, you know, I guess mm -hmm. you'd call them hits. But I, to me, they're, I've got the point about two minutes into them and I don't want to hear anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. It, and Oh, that uh, the album rock that they had in the 70s, let's say 70s, 80s. Yeah. Golly, I hear those songs and and I like the songs, but, you know, after they play about 30 songs, then they're right back to the first one again. And like you said, there's some, you know, five, six, seven minutes long that uh, I, I don't know if I can, they can keep my attention that long. <laughs> right. I, I like the... Uh, the songs that were two or three minutes, but if they were good, I wanted to hear them again. Yeah, and that's that's why people went and bought the records and said, "I can't get enough of that." Exactly, you know? <laughs> that's a, that's a really good point. It's like you want to hear it more. It's a, it's like yeah, it's that classic showbiz thing where you always leave them wanting more, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. If you go droning on into the night, <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, that was a. Those were really great times, though. So, how cool was it when you're riding around in your car one day and you hear Buddy Holly's rave on cranking on the radio? You must have been pinching yourself, right? Oh yeah, sure. That and uh, well, with Oh Boy, it was that I was working at a cotton janet and an Oh Boy actually was released. Yeah, must have been around October of. 57, something like that. And uh, so I'd go in the office, working at night at the cotton gin, I would haul the bales of cotton out to the yard and stack stack them uh, uh, in a field, stack them in rows. Sure. And so I'd go in the office to get a cup of coffee or warm my hands up or something. And I'd flip the radio, they had AM radio stations, all we had. I'd flip it around somewhere, and I could hear "Oh boy!" almost any time of the night. I could, oh god! If you spend about five or ten minutes in front of the radio, turning back and forth on the major radio stations, and because late at night, especially in Texas, being flat as it is, you had a lot of radio stations you could pick up. They might not be there very long; (laughs) they'll fade away. But I could hear that, and. just about any time of the night. I guess that's about as high as you can get off of music. Is oh man! You hear something like that, and you know you you've uh, waited a long time to to ever get the realization of something, and oh, that was that was amazing when you could do that. Oh yeah! Then you could just tell somebody, "Hey, this is my song." That's my song. I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> it's Buddy Holly singing my song. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Did um... oh yeah. Oh, yeah, sure you did. That's what they Yeah, said. right. Yeah, yeah, right, buddy. Right, right. <laughs> Those two songs came out relatively within what, like four, five, six months from each other? Oh, boy, and Rayvon? Something like that, yeah. So think, oh so that kind of puts you on the map in the songwriting world. Did, uh, did uh, you get some good, uh, you know, did some record labels or anybody come to you and say... Um, wow, you wrote those two great songs uh, for Buddy Holly. Can you, um, can you write me something else for this, for this artist? Did that happen, or did people just kind of not work that way back then? Well, I, had, I didn't have very many connections, you know, with yeah. being, in, being in West Texas. I was still, you know, when, when Ray Vaughn came out, I was still in Level Land. And shortly after that, I, my sister and brother-in-law and myself moved to Odessa, which is down south. I don't know if you've been there. I don't think south I have. Of, about 120 miles or so south of Lubbock. Uh, and moved down there. And uh, I really didn't have very many connections with the music world. And and I, I tried some more recordings at Norman's place. So that put all my energy into, you know, trying to get some more songs for not so much for myself, but to get the song recorded so that I could uh, you know, get maybe other artists interested and things like that. But yeah. It just, uh, this is the whole, uh, the downer of this interview is this things kind of started. I started getting pretty depressed about stuff because I stopped to think that, you know, things were not working out very good with Clovis. Sure. And I said, I'm, I, I'll have to do something else. I got so many bills coming in. I, I'd spent 
money like uh, I was making money, you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and then I found out these royalties take quite a long time to trickle down. Yes. That's the, that's the trickle down stuff. And, you know, I was just getting very disillusioned with everything. And so this, ha this is how it leads up to uh, February of uh, 1959 is that uh, I had... Uh, split with Norman, Buddy had split split with Norman, and uh, started a lawsuit against him to try to get some of his royalties. Yeah, I had split with Norman, and and I also had tried to get a lawsuit going, but you know it was very difficult. You can't find a lawyer out here that knows anything about uh, music. Royalties. They don't even know enough about oil royalties. So sure, yeah, know right, about right. Anyhow, that I got a job in uh, back in New Mexico, a town that I lived in when I was younger, out uh, west of Albuquerque. I got a job out there. My brother had moved down there, and he he was working at a uranium mill, and uranium was the big thing in '58 and '59, uh, mining and milling uranium in New Mexico and Colorado and Wyoming was big. And so it was a boom town. And I got a job there and that's where I was when when Buddy got killed. I was I was working on the midnight shift at a uranium mill. So um, I uh, I you know I come back to town the next day and I found out that you know he had gotten killed and I said, you know I I've been really depressed about this. I thought I was uh, doing really good, you know, and then, and uh, I had talked to Buddy, you know, before, well, the last time I saw him, I guess probably in 58 mm -hmm. sometime, but I, and you know, he wanted me to send more music to him and stuff like that. Not that he said he was going to record them, but he said, I would like to listen to other stuff that you have. And I yeah. thought, well, you know that's great. I'm going. I'm getting some ideas together. Next time we get together, I'll, I'll show him, show you some of my ideas. And of course, I never saw him again. So this whole thing was kind of, uh, uh, it, it was, it was just uh, really hard to take. I, you know, I thought this is, you know, I, I made some money. I, I made a little bit of uh, a reputation, and now I don't know where I'm at. Sure. So. Of course, the, the thing with Buddy was very depressing because, you know, he's a young guy and uh, he's uh, in the prime of life. Yep. And and he was still really a viable artist. So uh, he was my he was my vehicle, and uh, so that was that was uh, pretty tough. Of course, it was more tough, you know, not just the music wise but just because you know he was a good guy oh absolutely yeah no and, i mean you know his, he deserved uh, more than he got yeah and uh so i don't know what would have happened if that hadn't have happened I, i'm probably getting on to some territories in, in this <laughs> talking about things that uh maybe you were not wanting to contact uh, no no this is know. uh this is good to okay. hear because you know okay. i mean I was one of my well, questions I'd written down is what do you remember yeah. where you were when okay. uh, you heard about Buddy's oh, crash? Yeah, yeah. That well, that was that's where it was at, and and then uh, and so it was. 
that was my experience with with Texas. And after I left there, I said, I'm not ever going back to Texas. And uh, uh, this may be a negative. (laughs) 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 It it definitely is. But I said, I don't think I'll ever go back to Texas again. And uh, so 40 years later, I came back. (laughs) (laughs) See, never say never. But the, the gods said, you know, you're going to, you got more time left. So uh, go back over there. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a, uh, in 2000, BMI gave you a million aired achievement award for the record. Oh boy. That must've felt kind of a nice positive thing to occur. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's good. They, they used to give those for the uh, airplays. I don't know if they do that anymore or not, but yeah, I got that. I think it was year 2000. And that was a, yeah, that's, that's great to get something like that. It's uh, it gives you, you know, some recognition and, and uh, stuff like that. So I'm glad, I'm glad that happened. I'm yeah. glad a lot of things happened. Absolutely. And um, Rockabilly Hall of Fame inductee in 2016. Oh, Rockabilly Hall was uh in the nineties. Oh, was that the nineties? Uh, okay. Yeah, I that was uh, Walk of Fame, uh, twenty sixteen, Walk of Fame in Lubbock. Oh, Walk of Fame and, in uh, two thousand sixteen. Okay. And uh, also New Mexico Music Hall of Fame. So I got these Hall of Fame things. What am I going to do with them? <laughs> <laughs> Hang them on the wall. Uh, well, the Walk of Fame thing was uh, I liked that. I liked that. I. Uh, then I've got this buddy Holly has a, a new name. Well, he's got his name so far on this new hall they built in Lubbock. Oh yes. Yeah. I've seen the, the pictures uh, of it. It looks really nice. Uh, yeah. That, Oh, it's a fantastic building. I was over there uh, in a lot of part of 2019 and when they were building it, I got a, a tour of the place and uh, you know, it's a freestanding building that's uh, built from the ground up many millions of dollars and it's uh, entertainment and performance arts uh, are in charge of the thing. Right now they call it Buddy Holly Hall of Music or something like that. So they got the uh, Albertsons and United Supermarkets went in together and they, you know, they are, well, they're owned by the same people now. So they have, they got the food concessions for this big hall and it's called Rave On the restrooms. <laughs> See, there you go, and, Sonny. Oh, that's, that's big. Yeah. 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 That's really big. And this hall is just fantastic. You know, they got the, they can put on Broadway shows or anything else in that, in that hall. They, they've got a huge stage and then everybody has uh, a front row seat just about, you know, well, they got, they got to get you up there on the stage and uh, singing your uh, <laughs> classic songs there. Yeah. Then they have another stage, you know, for smaller uh, audiences uh, there. So it's, yeah, it's a great thing. So that's what's happening in Lubbock. They finally came around and doing a lot of things. So what's happening in your life? You're you're still going through the Midwest with your shows? Yes, occasionally. Of course, right now we can't because of the pandemic. But um, Yeah, of course. Yeah, everybody's grounded right now. Everybody's grounded. And so I've just been doing a lot of songwriting. And uh, I meet with some some friends on the, what do you call it, the internet Zoom thing. And Uh we uh, get together every Sunday and um, 
critique each other's songs and, you know, uh-huh. just, just try to get them as good as possible. And then I've got a little studio in my house that I record uh, some stuff on and um, been uh, released an album past October. But um, but yeah, I, you know, it's been uh, it's been a real drag not being able to. Uh, I'm so used to performing on stage and uh, bringing you know, smiles and laughter and joy to people that, um, I've been yeah. missing, missing that tremendously, you know? Oh yeah, so. sure. That's, yeah, that's it. It's been so sad for, for, well, you know, all the entertainment people, but, uh, musicians, especially, you know, they just got nothing else to do now. Yeah. With this, you know, they can try the virtual thing and things like that, but it's just very hard, very hard to it's do. It's very hard, and the virtual thing's just not the same as being No, alive. it's just not the same. It's kind of like a virtual ball game, you know. Exactly. <laughs> it's just not, uh, yeah, that's just not the thing. And who would ever thought that something like this would happen? That would. I know. You know, and so it affects so many people in the restaurant business and all that stuff, too, but it, yeah. it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. Is, uh, is George still playing? He still plays. He plays with a uh, like a little bluegrass band and a jazz band up in. The, um, he lives in Petaluma, California. Uh, it's about uh-huh. an hour north of San Francisco, I guess. Yeah. Small town and. Um, yeah. Gets together with some guys up there, but he uh, decided to retire from my my show because um, he was kind of tired of the travel. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, as you know, that can, can get pretty that. wearing. Yeah. But, oh yeah it it's a uh, it's the most. It's the greatest thing in the world the first two weeks. Exactly, exactly. That's what I used to say. And <laughs> and after that, uh, you know, it gets a little bit of a drag. But of course, you're up there, you know, in the spotlight. So it's it's uh, it's different for you. Well, so, it's you know, it's, it's yeah. It's I, I I understand where he's coming from because it uh, you know ever since uh, what that stupid um, unfortunate thing we had with nine one one. Where and then the plane flying yeah. became, you know, all this yeah. gobbledygook yeah. you have to go through to get on the plane. That that kind of oh, yeah. made it yeah, more that, difficult. But yeah, man, we sure George and I sure enjoyed. Um, I think the first time I met you was at the Clovis Music Festival. I I get, yeah. I think it was in oh, two thousand five yeah. or somewhere in there, two thousand four. Yeah, yeah, five I think. But oh yeah, the George, he's a he's a excellent guitar player guys. oh yeah just, he's the best he was a he child just, prodigy just, with that thing <laughs> yeah he he just he just feels it all over i can tell you know and he passes it on through through the through the sounds yeah, yeah he, he, he really great. um he he's respects great. um he respects the authenticity of that music for sure like he really knows how to yeah to uh, duplicate it and uh <laughs> but he really enjoyed meeting you as as did i and um yeah that was just great times that's some of my favorite memories um Doing yeah. that. Are they still doing that music festival or, or no? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the Clovis, uh, well, of course, before the, the, uh, pandemic, yeah. Pandemic. Then I, uh, I went over there for three, three years, I think five, six and seven. Then, uh, after that, I don't know if for a while, I think they kind of went on the way they were. And then later on, I, I didn't hear very many good things about it, but I don't know if it, if it was big enough to, uh, you know, pay for itself. Right. And I think right. we were just having some trouble like that. But yeah, I heard I, they kind of, um, I heard they kind of got away from, um, you know, the fifties music. They oh were. yeah. Yeah. They couldn't, uh, they couldn't follow on. Well, they couldn't hardly follow up having you over there and, you know, your, your troop, uh, whenever like, like in 
well, five, six, and seven are in there. Yeah. And they couldn't they couldn't uh, keep that out for some reason. So I guess their sponsors didn't want to shell out any money and and then you know it just kind of it's it seemed like to me if, that there wasn't much going on. So I didn't go back after that. Sure, so, sure. Uh, you know, I could have gone probably because I was living, you know, within within 300 miles of there, I could have probably gone, but I, I just didn't ever put it on my calendar. Sure. The last time I heard was, well, after shortly after that, uh, Bobby V quit playing, you know, and then he passed away. So I think his, uh, his son, uh, our, our sons were, were playing over there for a year or two. Yeah, sure. Kind of helped run in it, I suppose. So you have uh, five kids, is that correct? Uh, my no, I have two kids. Uh, I think that was on the Wikipedia. Yeah. The person that did the, the Wikipedia, uh, uh, they they actually just copied other uh, interviews. Oh. Uh, so, I'm, uh, so actually, I tried to get them to correct it to do a to do a. Uh, a piece on me, you know, and, and let me tell them what, what it was really what, because I, I was trying to uh, distance myself from some of the other Sunny West people out there. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, you know, I could never get through to them. Anyway, I noticed that was on uh, Wikipedia that I had five kids. Actually, Dottie had three kids and I had two. Oh, okay. So, I got you. Uh, you know, she passed away in the first part of uh, 2018. And so... Her, her children are still uh, here, well, in Arizona and uh, New Mexico. And I have two girls from a previous marriage that they live here nearby where I live. Oh, nice. And uh, so uh, I moved to be closer to them. You know, well, I'm not real close, but close enough. Right. You know, so that we can visit and... Uh, and also have our own space. I'm living in Northeast Oklahoma. Oh, okay. And, uh, I told you we're we're behind the rest of the world in like 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I love fun. that. <laughs> well, that's the way it is. Like in Kansas City, at four o'clock in Kansas City, three forty-five in Grove, Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Are yeah. your uh, your daughters uh, musically inclined at all? Do they do they pick up any instrument? Uh, no, no, not much. Uh, uh, one of them, you know, made some uh, recordings with the computer and stuff like that, you know, with the karaoke type recordings. So sure. I thought she did real good, but it's not enough. You know, she's, uh, I guess she, she's got too many other interests. So right, that's right. kind of the way it is. <laughs> they're both, they're both workaholics about like me. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't work music all that much, but I've worked at many different things. In the sixties, I, I worked on jukeboxes for the for about ten years. So wow, that's the way I, I kind of uh, supported myself and my my family at the time. So. Sure. Wow, I love jukeboxes. Um, do you, yeah, me do you, too. You still have one by any chance? I don't. Too much moving. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Too much moving. I, I I don't have hardly anything that I had before, but uh, I got uh, you know pictures and a few records, but. Not very much of anything. Did I read somewhere that you have made your own guitars, or is that another one of those Wikipedia? Uh, uh, 
No, I, I made guitars, uh, you know, in the, in the two thousands, uh, I, uh, while I was in Abilene, I probably made, uh, more around a hundred guitars. No electric. kidding. We're talking electric guitars, not acoustic guitars. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't attempt, uh, you know, like a Martin or something like that. Yeah, sure. Uh, but I made, a, I made a lot of, uh, either semi hollow or, or, uh, solid body electric guitars. Yeah. And then I took some that were already made and, and customize them. Very cool. But I had, I had, uh, there's quite a few out. Well, I've, I've sold all of them because I, I've, uh, probably only got you know, four five, six left, but, uh, I made some different ones. I made some kind of like the bow deadly style with the rectangle. Oh, I nice. made some, Made some that were kind of like the airline uh, Supro. Oh yeah, that's before that's before your time, probably. I think George has one of those. George has uh, he he, he always finds these uh, yeah old guitars in a thrift yeah. store somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I made some. The, this one that I was uh, talking about, the airline Supro, it's a polygon. You know, it's an odd shaped uh, with with different. Uh, angles oh neat the, the body you know a shape like a it's it's got some, quite a few different angles then uh then i made some where i put uh i called them the cattle brand guitars so i could cut it i could cut the cattle brand in there like some famous texas brands like xit sure and uh things like that so i put the put that i think i made about a dozen of those they're just kind of like one or one offs yeah then I made some out of mesquite wood, so the solid bodies. The mesquite wood is a, in Texas. A, it's very hard wood, probably next to the hardest wood there is. You know, and so it, it it makes a good sound because it has so much sustain. Sure. The the body so heavy, kind of like the early uh, tellies. Yeah. Yeah, you know, weigh about twelve pounds or something. Are you going to be able to? Um... Once this pandemic gets uh, under control, are you going to still go to Europe and tour over there, or or um, are you going to kind of uh, kick back for a bit? I don't know. I might go. You know, if if they would, if they had some shows that where I could just go and play one, you know, one gig at one night uh, with some bands like like that. It's a lot of traveling, but it you know you got to do something with right. your life. Right. I'd probably do something like that. I, I've been working on some of my songs that I've always planned on finishing, and I wouldn't mind doing some shows here in the states, but I don't want to do a whole night right. anywhere. I just, I just want to do a few songs with you know, just as a guest and uh, something like that, and uh, just so I can get out. Yeah. Well, and also I gotta, I gotta show somebody some of my new songs, and. Uh, one of these days, I'll find somebody that actually likes them. <laughs> I'm sure they will. I would love to hear them myself. And um, <laughs> I think next time uh, we're in Oklahoma or Texas, I got to invite you to come out and sing with us. I'd love to have you come on stage again. That'd be great. Oh, that'd, that'd be great, John. I, I like to do that. You know, if I can just go in there, we can do two or three songs together or, or, or something. That'd be fun. Uh, the, old, the old standards. Yeah, I love them. Well, you're uh, yeah. 
you're a classy guy and I really respect what you did. And, um, I think you're very modest about your, your position in rock and roll history. I think you're um, definitely one of the, uh, you know, the, the uh, troubadours of, uh, two classic songs, Rave On and yeah. Oh Boy. I mean, that's, uh, it's quite an accomplishment and, um, it's an honor to have you on the show. And, um, I'm, I'm, uh, just always thrilled to talk to you. And, um, well, I'm sure glad you asked me, you know, that's what I always tell people is when, when they stop asking you, that's when you got to worry. I don't worry. <laughs> I don't worry when you ask me to do something or, you know, to talk about the old days or something. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about it when you stop asking me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, Sonny, you take great care and, um, please be safe in this pandemic. And, um, I sure hoped I get to talk to you again um, soon. I mean, okay. I, I'd love to uh, talk with you off the air sometime, just to just to shoot the shoot the shit. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, sure. Yeah, and uh, you know, you got my number. I, I don't plan on changing it. So, so uh, if I do, I'll let you know. Anyway, I got uh, I've got you on uh, uh, messenger anyway. So. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, that'd be great. And feel free to um, send me send me. I'd love to hear your songs sometimes. So, uh, I'm, oh, okay. Uh, I'd love I'll, to hear them. Yeah, I I'll get uh, some stuff recorded, you know, or at least a verse or two, and and let you uh, take a listen to them. I yeah, tell you what, I'll I'll finish them up for you, and I won't even I won't even ask for a songwriting credit. I'll give you all the credit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John, come on, yeah. Uh, if if we ever did anything like that and it, and it did something, that would be it'd be so great. Yeah. Oh, it'd be awesome! It'd be awesome. So yeah. I look forward sure to would. it. Well, you take great care, Sonny. It's just a, been yeah. a blast talking to you. And um, you too. Be safe now. You, you take good care. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Yeah. Don't be a stranger. Sure. Bye. 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 Okay. Bye. Bye. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Sonny West. Man, that was fun. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Well, folks, we don't have any advertisers or sponsors for this uh, podcast so far, and uh, which is fine. I just wanted to uh, ask for a little favor. If you could go to your Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast at and uh, make sure you like and subscribe to it. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything other than a click. And that way it really helps us get the word out about the show. And uh, I'd really appreciate that. If you'd like to see where the Winter Dance Party is going to be at next, go to winterdanceparty.com. My original music is at johnmullermusic.com. And uh, take good care out there. Be safe. And we'll see you on down the line. See you on down the line.